keeps me on board. So, amen. Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 through 14, the narrow-minded path to eternal glory. On July 20th, 1993, while cutting down oaks in a Pennsylvania forest, Don Wyman got his leg pinned beneath a fallen tree. No one could hear his yells for help. After digging for more than an hour to try to free his bleeding, shattered leg, he hit stone. He would bleed to death unless he did something drastic. Wyman made his decision. Using a wrench and the starter cord from his chainsaw as a tourniquet, he cut off the flow of blood to his shin. Somehow, he had the fortitude to make the choice to amputate his own leg below the knee with his pocket knife. He crawled to his vehicle and drove to a farmer's home. The farmer got him the help that saved his life. Life is full of tough choices. The toughest choices are the ones that we make alone when everyone else is going a different direction than we are going. No one likes to be in the minority because we like to be accepted by the crowd. Like Don Wyman, men want to follow Christ. Men who uh, want to follow Christ face tough choices. We also have sinful habits we want to keep as badly as our leg and also our Lord and Savior who calls us to repent. It takes strength to cut off our wickedness. It takes strength to follow the Lord. We must make a choice on whom we will follow. No one else will make it for us. End quotes. And as we approach here in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13, would you follow along with me as I read this? Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Christ gives us a command, he says, enter ye, here in verse 13. Now, the person who gives a command is either mimicking authority or they are the authority. Now, your responsibility is to determine whether the person commanding is your authority. Once you determine this, you must decide if you're going to heed or listen to the instructions. Your decision here is where the vast majority of the world fails. A failure to submit to authority is a sin of rebellion. My friend, tonight, you must recognize the call, heed the authority, and resist the rebellion. And we're picking up. This is part two. But please understand, you need to determine in your life who is your authority. Everyone has an authority. Number two, who is calling you? Number three, in whom are you to resist? And may the Lord be not only God, but your Savior and Redeemer, Jesus Christ, the hope of this world. There's not many voices that are correct. But only one voice you are to respect and submit to in complete faith. We must resist tormented pluralism for the bliss of exclusivism with Christ. As you think on these very truths tonight, let's go to the Lord and ask for his blessing and his help at this time. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I bring this message before you. God, I yield tonight before thy holy throne, and I thank you for being our gracious Redeemer. Father, I pray tonight as I preach your word, should there be anyone here tonight that is not certain of their salvation, they never accepted Jesus as their Savior by faith alone. Maybe they're trying to be a good person. Maybe they're trying to do some good works and figure out a way to get to God under their own merits. But Father, I pray tonight they'd realize they need to enter in at the narrow gate through Jesus Christ alone. Father, I pray you'd help me to make the message clear and plain. Father, may we look and live. And Lord, for those, those of us as Christians, may this message be something we love to tell. So God, I commit tonight to you. Lord, I commit my lips and my thoughts. I ask you to help me as I preach your holy word. Thank you for your grace and the precious and holy name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Last week, I started off with recognize the call. Do you hear the call to enter? Now, there are, last week I spoke about a pluralism of voices. You have a choice of which voice you heed. There are a lot of voices. There are a lot of things that are trying to get your attention. Commercials, if you're watching television, there's commercials. And on those, telev on those commercials, their desire is to get your attention to buy the product. There's a lot of voices there, and, and, and I'm not talking your hearing voices, but I'm saying there are things that are trying to get your time, your attention, your resources to go that path. Maybe it's work, maybe it's education, maybe it's uh, you know, doing your religion your way. 
But the Bible tells us here, straight is the gate and narrow is the way. Realize this, Christian, the voice of Christ is a direct result of the way you live. And for those of us as Christians, the way I live, Matthew 5, 15 and 16, would you turn with me back there, if you're there in Matthew, Matthew chapter 5, verses 15 and 16. Christian, you are a draw or a repellent to the world based upon how you live. You are either helping people to get to that narrow gate and to enter, or you are a deterrent, a detour, so they don't enter. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 15, Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Christian, your actions will help people to get to the entrance of that gate. And they have to make a choice to cross in, to accept Jesus by faith. Jesus says, enter. You've got to get people to the voice, that God, the command of enter. If someone is sick at home, do you let them stay at home sick? You, you encourage them. You need to go to the doctor. You need to get some help. Uh, not long ago, there was a gentleman, he's healing up, he's not here tonight, and, and he wasn't well, and I could tell he was in a lot of pain. I said, you need to go to the doctor. Oh, I'll go in a little bit. Well, he had gone several days more, and eventually come to find out he had bleeding on the brain. Well, he needed the doctor. You're trying to get someone to the very answer for life. And as a Christian, my desire as a light bearer is to get people so that they hear the voice as Jesus says, enter, and they'll accept it by faith. Jesus would say in Matthew 9, 12, but when Jesus heard that, he said, and they that behold need not a physician, but they that are sick. Why would you go to a doctor if you're feeling good? Now, you, well, I, I know I went not long ago, I went for an annual physical, just to make sure I was healthy and all that kind of stuff, right? Do some blood work. I was healthy. But most of the time, when you go to the doctor, you're going there because there's a problem. I went to the doctor because I wanted to make sure there wasn't a problem. Okay, there were a few things, my, my wrist and some other things that were bothering me, so I needed to see him anyways. But Jesus is saying, hey, we, you, need a you go to a physician when you need help. And, and, and the desire is God saying, listen, internally, you're, you're unhealthy. You, those who come to Christ aren't coming because they think they have it all figured out. When I'm coming to a doctor, I'm not coming to, doc, to the doctor to tell him all of my physical problems from an anatomical uh, perspective. I'm not going to tell him all the parts of my body and how all the cells interact and the chemical reactions and, and the, the structure of my body. I'm not going to give him a lecture. I'm coming to the doctor because I, I want his expertise, his professional opinion. When I'm coming to Jesus Christ, I'm coming because I need him. I realize he's the answer. Realize this, and I spoke about just this is all review, but the honored guests, whom was it that would often come to Jesus? It was the publicans. That's like the tax collectors and really the people of society that your mainstream society is like, oh, I don't want to be around them. It was the sinners, the sick, the drunkard, the glutton, the publican, the harlots. These are the ones that came to Jesus Christ. The brokenhearted. And he would even say in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, many times, the, you know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, who would think, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, a little bit of review tonight on this, and then we'll pick up where we left off last week. But <clears throat> 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. Jesus, when he's calling, enter ye, that is a command. But you have a command. Some people say, no one can tell me what to do. Well, they can tell you what to do, but you have a choice whether you listen to it or not. Because a command is ultimately an expressed desire for you to follow whatever is being stated. To follow the direction that is being given to you. Now you have a choice. Do I listen and obey or do I disobey? 
But it's your choice, a command is. If my daughter's running for a ball to run across the street to get the ball before it goes into the street, and the ball goes into the street and she grabs the ball and I yell at her, stop, she has a choice to not stop. Jesus is saying, enter. Now, God, many times, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26, For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And base things of the world, and things which are despised, hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not, to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. Excuse me. You know what God uses? It was the foolishness of preaching that God uses. Do you realize this? That it was the preaching of God's word that would transform the lives of my drunken alcoholic grandparents. It would transform the lives of my dad and my mom. Now there, there was decisions that were made later on, but it, it changed. And in all of our lives, when you accept Jesus Christ, there is a decision, and it was a simple message that literally transformed me from the inside out. It changed me. It's not some magical hocus pocus. It's the, when you accept by faith Jesus Christ, you enter. You're transformed. You're a new creature. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Who were those that Jesus, and there was a marriage feast, and who were those that were not invited? In fact, they didn't accept the invitation. It was the busy landowner. It was the busy professional, the busy family man. Who were those that would end up being invited? The poor, the maimed, the halt, the blind, the homeless, the wanderer. Those are the ones that would come to the, the feast. It was a hard-hearted and closed-minded. It was the self-righteous thinking they can come to God their own way. It was those who were materialistically comfortable. I've got enough goods. I don't need God and I don't need church. I'm good. I've got, I'm, I'm comfortable in life. I'm glad God works for you, but it just doesn't work for me. Those are the ones they would not accept the invitation. But the heeding of the authority, the obeying of the authority, if you would, well, will you obey the call to enter? The entrance. This is where we pick back up. Understand this, Christian, is if you come to a doctor, you're coming in humility looking for his advice or her advice. Look with me at Matthew 18.3. You know what God calls us to do? The entrance into a relationship with Jesus Christ is in simplicity and the humility of a child. In Matthew 18, you don't have to be super, it doesn't, it doesn't matter on your intellect. It doesn't matter on the wealth you have. It doesn't matter on how good of a person you are. It matters if you see you need to enter. It matters if you're humbly coming to Jesus, realizing He's your need. In Matthew 18, 3, And He said, Verily I say unto you, Except you be converted, become as little children, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. There's an enter in simplicity and the humility of a child. You know what? I'm not coming with any airs that I am some great thing that's going to help God. No, I'm coming that I need Jesus. In Matthew 23, 13, you can look with me here. Matthew 23, 13. Jesus would say, But woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for ye, for ye neither go in yourselves, neither suffer ye them that are entering to go in. There's nothing grand in the works of entering, nor asserting authority. Here are some religious leaders that shut the door on people to enter the gate of Jesus Christ. And he says, whoa, that's, I mean, curses are coming upon you. That's there in Matthew 23, 14, 13 and 14. And understand, neither go ye in yourselves. Why would they not enter? Because they see themselves as having done enough good works and being righteous, being good enough before God that God will accept them as they are. Unfortunately, we understand. Look with me at Luke 13. It, none of us, 
God has a requirement to enter and know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. There's a requirement. You have to obey the command to enter, but in that entrance, I'm coming in humility. Well, an entrance in this very aspect of humility is repentance. A change of mind where I'm no longer thinking I'm okay. I'm agreeing with God. I changed my mind from what I was thinking to what God says about me, that I'm guilty. And I deserve the penalty uh, for death. I deserve God's punishment and judgment. And that Jesus is the only way. Luke 13, verse 1. Look with me here. There were present at that season some that told him of the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus answering said unto them, Suppose ye that these Galileans were sinners above all the Galileans because they suffered such things. I tell you nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Or those eighteen upon whom the tower of Siloam fell and slew them, think ye that they were sinners above all men that dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you, nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Here's some Galileans, verses uh, 1 through 3, the Galileans that are discussed were apparently been involved in an insurrection against, the, the Ro- against Rome, the government of Rome, and the authorities, and, and uh, their blood was actually mixed with the very animals being sacrificed there, and and so Jesus gives a harsh reply. They may have hoped they would have sided, the, the, you know, the Jews would have sided with the Galileans. But Jesus, you know, and, and yes, they were in trouble with Pilate, but they were, they were still in trouble with God if they didn't repent. If they didn't agree with God that they were a sinner, they were guilty before God, that they were judged as guilty. Every one of us, every one of us are guilty before God. And this is an answer that the people had not suspected. Because suppose ye that these that are causing the insurrection against the very government of Rome, some people would say, well, maybe they're the greatest of all sinners. But it doesn't matter whether you're a Galilean or you're a Galilean who's a part of the insurrection. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Jew that was a part of an insurrection. If you don't repent, you don't enter. Because it's not about you. I did not... Look with me at John chapter 10, verse 9. Jesus, many of those that would follow the Lord Jesus Christ, would have a reputation in society that was less than favorable. And yet those are the ones that would follow Christ and be saved and God would use in a mighty way. You would have fishermen. There were the very apostles of Christ. I mean, they're sons of thunder. I mean, they're known for the rabble-rousing and fighting and just, they were rough men, fishermen. And Jesus would use these and the other apostles to turn the world at that time upside down. Because it's not about the person. It's about your perspective. John chapter 10, verse 9, I am the door by me. If any and any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. What's Jesus saying? The entrance is exclusively narrow. Look with me at John 14, 6. That word straight gate means a narrow gate. John 14, verse 6. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way. The truth and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. It's absolutely restrictive. In Psalm 16, Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Realize this. Jesus is the only way. It's not Jesus and baptism. It's not Jesus and being a good person. No, it's Jesus. Look with me at Acts chapter 4, verse 12, lest you think there's anything else that could potentially be in addition to this. In Acts chapter 4, verse 12.
In Acts chapter 4, verse 12, neither is there salvation in any other. For there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. That whole symbol of, like sometimes you'll find on a bumper sticker, whatever coexist, it is patently false. It's only Jesus. It's not that all these roads are leading in the same direction towards some higher deity. No, it's only Jesus. No religion, philosophy, or belief can save you. It's only Jesus. Ephesians 2.18, For through Him, that's Jesus, we both have access by one Spirit unto the Father. It's a, but there's a broad invitation. It's a broad invitation, but a narrow entrance. I want you to look with me at Luke chapter 13. Go back just a couple of books. Luke chapter 13, verse 23. Luke 13, 23. You know what? Many people want their own way to heaven. They want to tell God how they're going to get to heaven. And everyone wants to go to heaven, but no one wants to talk about hell. And... and, <laughs> You know, I'm not reveling in talking about it, but that's what the Bible says. And Christianity, if we think about it, Christianity hinges the very, if you want to say the Achilles heel of Christianity, hinges upon the resurrection of Jesus Christ, 1 Corinthians 15. If Jesus' resurrection did not occur, which we know it did, but if the resurrection did not occur, all of Christianity's, all of it falls apart. Because the curse of sin was not defeated. You go back to the Garden of Eden. There was a curse. The wages of sin is death. Every person dies. But how do I get from a place of guiltiness to a place of innocence? In Luke chapter 13, verse 23, would you look with me? Luke chapter 13, verse 23 then, then said one unto him, Lord, are there few that be saved? And he said unto them, Strive to enter in at the straight gate. For many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able, when once the master of the house is risen up and has shut to the door, and you begin to stand without and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, Lord, open unto us. And he shall answer and say unto you, I know you not whence ye are. Then shall ye begin to say, We have eaten and drunk in thy presence, and thou hast taught in our streets. But he shall say, I tell you, I know you not whence ye are. Depart from me, all ye workers of iniquity. And there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you shall see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God and you yourselves thrust out. God, I'll get to heaven my own way. When God closes those doors forever for eternity. You breathe your last breath and you've never accepted Jesus Christ. That door is shut. He'll say, I don't know you. There would be many of those in Jesus' day that would hear him preach, they'd hear him speak, they'd see the works that he did, and they believed that they were still okay according to Jewish religion. There were many that will profess Christ, many who will think they serve Christ, many that may cast out demons and do great, wonderful signs, but yet they've never entered that narrow gate. It shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered in Joel 2.32, for in Mount Zion and Jerusalem shall be deliverance as the Lord hath said, and the remnant whom the Lord shall call. The invitation is open to all. Whosoever shall call in the name of the Lord shall be saved. He's able to save to the uttermost. Look with me at Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. I have heard it many a time over. The people have said, I need to make some things right in my life before I accept Christ. I need to get some things fixed up. I need to stop doing this particular action. I need to get away from this crowd. I need to do all this. Their thinking still is that if they stop these current actions, then somehow they can merit or have such enough please, pleasure before the God of heaven that somehow he's going to accept them that they've shut out these other things. It's not reforming your life. God comes into you through the Holy Spirit of God and transforms you, changes your thinking. In Hebrews 7.25, Wherefore, he is able also to save them to the uttermost. 
that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Uttermost. What is that word there? The idea is to the furthest reaches of the depths of sin, he'll pull you out of that. Because it's not about you. When we have bold, we can enter into, with boldness and courage to enter into God's presence and ask for Him to forgive us. There's no bias, no partiality. Look with me at 1 Peter chapter 1. I'm telling you, Christian, it is the greatest thing ever to be considered a child of the living God. A child of of a Redeemer who lives and intercedes and prays for me to have the Spirit of God within us. My friend, it is a miracle that God does the moment you accept Christ as your Savior. He doesn't have any bias. I don't care what culture you come from. I don't care what, where, what you're, if you're male or female, what culture you come from, what Uh, economic class, whether you're the poorest of the poor or the richest of the rich, there is no partiality with God. You've got to enter as a humble child. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 17, for he see from God the Father honor and glory. Let's try that again. 1 Peter, I was in 2 Peter. 1 Peter 1, 17, if he call on the Father who without respect of persons, God doesn't care who you are. Judgeth according to every man's work. Past the time of your sojourning here in fear. He says, listen, God's going to look at everything you've done. But then he says something, verse 18. For as much as ye know that you are not redeemed with corruptible things. Listen here. And then he tells, he says, you cannot be forgiven by God by things that will perish. So the very notion that we talked about this on uh, Thursday night about the Apocrypha and uh, how it's apostate and heretical and, and uh, there's truths in there and the very idea that of purgatory and almsgiving that somehow I can pay enough money to a priest and he will forgive me. But he's saying here, and the very thing, uh, not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers. There's nothing you can give to God financially or anything of this world to reconcile you to God. You can't do anything, as the scriptures say. But he says something here, verse 19, this is the key, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained, before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him did believe in God, that raised him up from the dead, and gave him glory, that your faith and hope might be in God. You see, you must listen to the authority of enter by faith alone. For by grace are you saved through faith. So you must resist the rebellion that there's a broad entrance, a broad invitation you know what? Satan is, can only offer you synthetic pleasure. You can only have pleasure for a season. You can only have hope for a season. People go out for a night and they enjoy themselves. They go out on the town and they drink and drug and women or whatever they do. And they're like, whoa, I'm going to have a fun time. There's only pleasure. And then the next day, you don't feel so good. Maybe there's some regret and shame for your actions. In Hebrews 11.25, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Sure, there may be a time in your life you're like, wow, I'm on cloud nine. I'm, I don't need that God thing. I, I'm, I'm okay. Satan's okay to give you synthetic pleasure, but he can't give you eternal hope. I want you to look with me at Mark chapter 10. There is a broad way and a broad invitation. Anyone is welcome. All religions are okay. All religions are acceptable. But my friend, that's not what Jesus says. That's not what the Bible says. And if you deviate from what Jesus says, who is the authority, you go into rebellion. 
And rebellion has undesired consequences. Mark chapter 10, verse 23. And Jesus looked round about and saith unto his disciples, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? And the disciples were astonished at his word, but Jesus answereth again and saith unto them, Children, how hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. You can't trust in riches. You can't trust in your own success. You can't trust in professionalism. You can't trust in worldly accolades and certificates on the wall, trophies. These only deaden your desire for to enter the only way there is. You see, the broad way is difficult when a person rebels against the command to enter. Realize this in 2 Kings 18, 12, because they obeyed not the voice of the Lord their God, but transgressed His covenant, all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded, and would not hear them nor do them. The very, the very word destruction in Matthew seven thirteen. Conveys the idea not of extinction, but of ruin. Not the loss of being, but the loss of well-being. What is the message of the Broadway? Look with me at Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 17. There's a message of the Broadway. And so often churches, they, they want to preach a very positive message. And I, I'm all, I like preaching positive messages. Tell, I like it. I don't like preaching this. Sometimes there's time I'm like, Lord, I'm here in the passage of Scripture as we work verse by verse through some passages of Scripture and, and verses, chapters. And I said, Lord, I, this is a heavy chapter. Lord, can I not skip it? But if I, my, 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 the calling of a pastor is to preach all the Word of God. And there's times where I come to a passage of Scripture and I'm like, Lord, I don't want to preach that passage. I like preaching positive messages. It feels good and having people encourage. But if all a church is doing is motivating and encouraging, but never gets to the choice that your choices have consequences, that church is negligent of the gospel. It's negligent of the word of God. Because if, I, if you were driving down a road that had a cliff, if you're driving down a road, imagine you're going down Highway 6 and there was the road just dropped off 200 feet because there was, a, uh, there was just a large cavern that was under and it caved in. And so now there's 200 feet of cliff and, and a very large span. Say there's, I don't know, 30 meters of road that just collapsed into the road. And I'm waving as you go by, have fun, have a good trip. I would be negligent if I knew that that was up ahead. And Christian, I don't like speaking about the things of the judgment of God, but I'm negligent if I don't say it. If you're living a lifestyle that's going a wrong way and I don't say anything, I know there's going to be harm because the Bible tells you there's going to be. People many times don't like you. In Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 17, they say still unto them that despise me. This is Jeremiah. He's a prophet. He's preaching to the people. He says, listen, you need to repent and stop with your idolatry. Otherwise, God's going to destroy this nation. And the people are like, Jeremiah, you keep your mouth shut. Otherwise, we're going to kill you. You realize Jeremiah's ministry was to preach to a nation and God told him, you're going to preach to them, you're going to tell them the wrath of God is coming, repent of your sins, and oh, by the way, Jeremiah, they're never going to listen to you. He says, they say still unto them that despise me, the Lord hath said, ye shall have peace, and they say unto everyone that walketh after the imagination of his own heart, no evil shall come upon you. What's happening? There are preachers here in Jeremiah's day, priests and prophets, they're saying, ah, oh, Jeremiah, oh, he's such a negative preacher. Oh, Jeremiah, all he is is like doom, doom, doom. Ah, oh, Jeremiah, get rid of him. Let's get him out of here. Man, it doesn't make me feel good. He depresses me. He discourages me. Get him to shut up. Let's go forward. Let's get ourselves. And so they say, so these prophets and priests and people are like, oh, 
did you hear about preacher so-and-so, Jeremiah? He said nothing's going to happen to him. He's a prophet just like you, Jeremiah. He's a priest just like you. And so this idea here, and you know what happens? It's this very idea of this possibility thinking that God's desire is for our greatest happiness. No, God's desire is that I would bring him glory. And in so doing, I'll have peace and joy and rest and hope within. Preachers today are inviting people to have a possibility thinking to invite us to invest in Disney World style adventures, writes one John Phillips. And the Christian life is presented as a round of fun and frolic to be poor or sickly as a sign of a lack of faith in God. It would seem that it wants us to be like the rich fool who boasted that he was rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. Such teaching is a Laodicean gospel for a Laodicean church and a Laodicean age, end quotes. The very idea of a Laodicean church in Revelation 3.17, because thou sayest I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. I want you to see something here. There's this idea that if you have enough faith, God will heal you. If you have enough faith, God will make you wealthy. Well, look with me at 2 Corinthians chapter 12. That is a lie. It has, it's not some metric that if I have enough faith, then, then I've earned a, a right to speak to God, and so he's going to answer my prayers. God has a will and a desire for your life. He has a plan for your life. Look with me at 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. God's calling is to enter. And sometimes people think, well, I'm going to try that Jesus thing. And if things work out, then I'll accept him. Jesus isn't a robe to put on and take off. It's not like a test, car, test driving a, a new car or some car you're interested in driving. In, in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, Unless I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelation there was given to me, a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan above me, lest I should be exalted above measure, for this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most glad, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. The Apostle Paul says, I prayed three times, Lord, please help my physical problem. And God said, no, my grace is sufficient for thee. Sometimes people are preaching a gospel, if you come to Jesus, he'll heal you. If you have a hard time and you come to Jesus, uh, he'll save you. If you have a hard life, and if you go through it, oh, I tried that whole Jesus thing, there is no God. If you went through a difficult period or suffered a tragedy, and uh, it, it didn't go the way you thought, ah, oh, there can't be a God. It's a false gospel if you're just coming to Jesus just to, to get wealthy or, or to just to be healed physically. It's not about that. I'm coming to Jesus because I realize that I am a sinner before a perfect and holy God and I'm asking Him to forgive me of all my sins and that He is the only one that will judge me one day and I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask God, please forgive me of my sins. Please be my Savior. Come into my heart. And Lord, I want to be born again. And the very idea of my heart is that I am a broken, wicked sinner in need of a Savior. Enter ye in at the straight gate. There were others that you could find that people would say, come to Jesus and he'll heal all your problems. Jesus isn't a magician and genie. That's a false gospel. But he does say, Jesus does say, come unto me, all you that weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Matthew chapter 11, come unto me. You know, this idea of laboring, he says, listen, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. And the very idea that he said, you'll find rest. You can have hope and peace within through the storms of life. He's not going to keep you from storms, but he'll be with you through the storms. I'm not preaching a gospel that you come to Jesus and everything's going to get better. You have hope for eternity. You have a, the presence of God. You, I mean, there are amazing things. Look with me at Psalm 10. I'm almost done here. 
before I come to the conclusion. My friend, and you might think, why would I come to Jesus then? Because there's a God in heaven that loves you. There's a God that's not willing that any should perish. God doesn't want you to go to hell. God knows all that you've done. He knows that all that I've done. And he wants a relationship. He is pursuing me, saying, listen, I went to that cross in your place. I paid your sin penalty. Will you just receive me by faith? The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It is a gift. God says, I'm pursuing you. I'm chasing after you. I want a relationship with you. I don't want you to go to hell. I want you to have eternal hope. I want you to have a present hope. I want to spend time with you now. I want a relationship with you as my child. God's desire. In Psalm uh, 10, verse 2, you think about the wicked in his pride to persecute the poor. Let them be taken into the vices that they have imagined. For the wicked boasteth of his heart's desire, and blesseth the covetous whom the Lord abhorreth. The wicked through the pride of his countenance will not seek after God. God is not in all his thoughts. Well, you know, devices, hobbies, jobs, friends, and family distract the mind from the ability to hear the calling enter. So many people live in the realm of imaginations, dreams, hopes, vision, and a future outlook. What's, you know what, I, I hope one day to have this. I hope one day I'll do this. They have a way which they've endeavored to succeed as defined by man. Unfortunately, Proverbs 131 tells us, therefore shall they eat of the fruit of their own way and be filled with their own devices, their own counsels, their own plans, their own advice. What is the demise of pluralism? What do I mean by pluralism? I just want to explain that again. But pluralism, all ways, all religions are okay. That's pluralism. Look with me at Revelation chapter 20 before I come to the conclusion this evening. Revelation chapter 20, verse 12. Friend, if you're here tonight, you've never accepted Jesus Christ. Jesus loves you. And because he loves you, he wants you to receive the gift. But you have a choice. You have to enter in at the straight gate. In Revelation chapter 20, verse 12, And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead, the dead, these are those that have never had their spirit born again were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their works, and death and hell were cast in the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast in the lake of fire. Now I want to ask, answer you one day, everything you've ever thought and ever done is going to be exposed before everyone, before God. If you've never accepted Christ. The book is going to be opened. And every deed you've ever done will be exposed. The truth of avoiding destruction, the truth of the revelation of all the wicked works you've done is to enter in at the straight gate. This gate is Jesus. You must hear the right voice, you must obey the voice, and you must resist the rebellion for the broad path. Romans chapter 10. My last verse for tonight. Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, verse 14. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? That preacher there is a message bearer. If you are a Christian, you are a message bearer. And how shall they preach except they be sent as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not obeyed the voice of not, they have not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report? So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. But I say, have they not heard? Yea, ver yes, verily, their sound went into all the earth, and their words in the end of the world. But the very fact is, God, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Christian, we're to give out the invitation, the command of God, enter. Jeremiah had to say, Judah, you need to repent. 
world, you need to repent. But if you repent, God will freely forgive you every wrong thought, deed you've ever done. And you'll be forgiven at that cross. Centuries ago, a China, in China, a teacher would call one of his students to the front of the room. He would hold out both hands and explain to that chosen student that one hand held a valuable coin and the other was empty. He would invite the chosen student to choose one hand or the other. If the student chose the coin, he would be allowed to keep it. But if he chose the empty hand, the teacher would strike the boy with his clenched fists. If the student decided not to choose at all, he could return to his seat. The ritual was practiced each day in the teacher's classroom. Because the students knew of the teacher's strength and skill as a fighter, they were afraid to make a choice. They knew that to be hit by him would result in a serious injury. On the rare occasion that a student would choose a hand, the teacher would ask, Are you sure? As the student looked more closely at the teacher's hard fist and even harder scowl, he would invariably change his mind and hurry back to his seat. One day, a boy named Chin was called to the front of the room. Chin's father had died in the war five years before, and his family was having difficulty surviving. Chin needed the gold coin to help his family. The instructor held out his fist. Chin studied both hands for a long time. His classmates stared at him, expecting him to simply return to his seat as each, one, each of them had done. Finally, this young boy pointed the teacher's left fist. Are you sure? The instructor asked. Chin, he nodded. The boy did. Would you like to forget about your choice and return to your seat? The boy shook his head no. The instructor's fist shot out and struck him squarely in the face, knocking him to the floor. The young boy laid on the floor looking up at his teacher in a daze, and the instructor turned both fists over and revealed that each of them held a gold coin. He said, you cannot expect anything for free, the teacher told his class. There is a price that comes with everything. The teacher helped the young boy to his feet, smiled, and placed both coins into his hand. He never repeated the exercise again. That story amply describes the situation of the test. We must all make choices in our lives, whether we like it or not. Some choices are difficult. In fact, we'd rather just run, on, run away and hide. Hiding, however, is still a choice. The choices that we make do have consequences. The reality of this fact is made crystal clear by Jesus in this portion of Scripture. Because of our choices, we have consequences. We want to make sure we make the right choices in our lives, especially when it comes to our treatment of other people and our treatment of the gospel of Jesus Christ. End quotes. Jesus has called us here, and if you've never done this, he says, enter. If you have any reservations, but, but I'm not good enough, I'm not this, I'm not that, I'm not like this person, I'm not a church person, it doesn't matter if you're a church person. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you've come from. It doesn't matter who your parents are. It doesn't matter your culture, your gender. It doesn't matter any of that. What matters, will you obey the calling to enter? You enter that straight gate, that narrow gate. You're now letting Jesus. He's secured your eternity. He's paid your debt and you'll be forgiven forever. You see, Christian, it's a wonderful thing. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. It's simple. It's all by faith. It's a gift. If somebody comes to give you a gift, do you receive that gift thinking it's going to be a bomb, like a mail bomb? Like, you know, it's going to be a bomb that's going to blow? No, you don't receive it as something that's going to harm you. You receive it as a gift, thinking it's going to be something that you're going to want. I mean, especially if it's wrapped, you get it and you're like, whoa, what is this? And you open it up, oh, it's what I was wanted, right? <laughs> Jesus is what you really need. I'm not saying he's going to make it your life, make it healthy, wealthy, and wise, but I am saying he will come in, give you hope for eternity. He will be a comfort and a joy and a peace as you continue day in and day out. And once you accept him as a child, you're adopted into God's family and you'll never be kicked out. You're always his child. You can't lose it. Because your eternity doesn't rest upon you, it rests upon Jesus Christ. He's the one that said, never perish, everlasting life. If he said it, I can take it to the bank. It's going to be true. And this evening, if you're not saved, if, you're not, if you've never asked Christ, is there a time, I want to ask you, have you ever asked Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior. Is there ever time in your life that you realize you were a sinner and that you ask Jesus, please forgive me of all my sins? If you've done that, by faith as the Word of God says, you're born again. Can I have Miss Pat come forward this evening, please? I want to challenge you this evening. Number one, have you entered 
at the narrow gate. If you've never entered, please enter. If you have entered, Christian, we got to keep preaching the message of enter. Enter ye at the narrow gate. It's not about pluralism. It's not about trying to appease the crowd. It's trying to give the message that is truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Will you enter? As the music plays this evening, Christian, are you going to be a candle? Are you going to be a light to point people to enter? Faith, right? People need to hear the word. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You're going to give that word out, Christian. If you're not saved, please enter at that gate. If you'd like me to sit down with you from a Bible and I can explain how you can know for sure after the service, please come up to me. And I'd love to show you with all heads bowed and eyes closed as you pray there in your seat. I trust you do business with God as the Spirit of God works upon your heart this evening. In this time here, why am I asking heads bowed and eyes closed? Just a time of quietness between you and the Spirit of God to speak. And you can pray to Him wherever you're seated. My friend, there's the first step, the greatest first step, is to accept Jesus as your Savior. If you know that you're born again, let's get that message out. music will come to a close here shortly and if you have questions or you want to talk I'd love to sit with you with the Bible and I'd open it up and show you how you can know for sure that you are a child of God let's pray dear Heavenly Father Lord I want to thank you for this evening I thank you for the simplicity of the gospel of the very truth that you've called us for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved I just recognize I'm a sinner I come as a humble child a little child I recognize my condition, realize that I'm sick spiritually and I need Jesus. I ask you to forgive me of all my sins. And Lord, you will forgive any who come to you. There's none that will be turned away. Father, should there be someone tonight that's not saved, I pray they call out to you. And for those of us as Christians, God, embolden us and give us the courage to be that, that, light, that light in a very dark place. We thank you for being our gracious Savior. Thank you for your mercy. Lord, we love you. And we yield this evening to thee. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen.